Did you know that more Christians have been martyred for their faith in the last hundred years than all the other previous centuries combined? When, when, you, when you use that word martyr, it sounds like an, a word for another place and, and another time. Like it, it doesn't really, it feels so far removed from the lives that we live today, right? 21st century America, or the world, right? But if you think that, you're wrong. You're wrong. St. Augustine wrote, the martyrs were bound, jailed, scourged, racked, burnt, rent, which means ripped into pieces, butchered, and they multiplied. Suffering for our faith has literally built the church. So those people who understood what it meant to be followers of Jesus Christ, to, to put him first and foremost above everything else in their lives. The second century lawyer, Tertullian, was led to the Lord Jesus Christ by watching Christians sing as they walked to their deaths. Imagine how many people throughout the centuries have been led to Christ because of followers of Christ who were willing to step out in that kind of faith and have that kind of, if you will, even joy in the face of incredible hardship. He also wrote, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. The church is built on the foundation of people who have given their lives for Jesus Christ. You know, it's amazing, um, and I think I've told you this story before, but those first African missionaries, if, if the missionaries who went to Africa, they used to pack all of their belongings in coffins because they knew they weren't coming back. Many times their families would have funerals before they left because they knew their children were not returning. When I was in Nigeria, I remember going to a graveyard and seeing that no person in that graveyard was over 50 years old. They had all died before the age of 50. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood this better than most as they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar, facing what they knew could be their, their, their deaths. Now, before we move on and get into this story a little more, because we talked about it last week, we're going to build on it this week. I want to answer a question that many of you had last week as you're walking out the door. You said, where was Daniel in all of this? Right. King Nebuchadnezzar sets up this giant statue of gold and calls all of his leaders together. And he says, everyone at the same time when the music starts has to bow down to this giant golden statue. And the only three, it says, that did not bow down were Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So the question that we had last week was, where was Daniel? Well, let me give you there's there are three. There are three possible answers to the question, probably more. But these are the three most well, no. Number one, Daniel did bow down to the statue. Well, let's just move on from there because that's not happening at all. Okay, it's not, it's not realistic. Daniel would never have done that, so that's off the table. The second thing was that, um, that, that uh, Daniel, well, he, he, uh, he, bow, he, he, he stood up, but the people that were, that were watching, they didn't see Daniel, and so they didn't report him. 
Well, that's just not realistic either, because if Daniel was there, he's the main leader. OK, and these these other jealous leaders would have been ha- they would have had their eye on him first and foremost. I mean, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were important, but Daniel, he's the main leader. So they would have they would have had their focus on Daniel. The other thing about that, if Daniel was there, they didn't miss him. And if he was there, Daniel would never have let Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego go to the fiery furnace without him being there. He wouldn't have said, well, gosh, I'm glad they didn't see me. Right. (laughs) Too bad for you guys. No, Daniel would have said, if they're going in, I'm going in with them. If you're going to put them in the fire furnace, I'm, go- I'm going to be the one going in with them. So that's just unrealistic as well. Most scholars hold to the third position that Daniel was sent off and he wasn't in the city during the time of the event. He wasn't there, which would that would make that 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 would explain things. OK, that would explain all of what we what we see. He's absent because he's actually not there. Okay, and that also explains why the other leaders had the guts to actually pick on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and do what they did. If Daniel was there, that may not have happened. I don't think they'd had the courage to do it. The other thing is that obviously God is the inspired. It's, God's word is inspired by God himself. Okay, it's God breathed. And if Daniel would have been there, this is just my own speculation. I think God allowed Daniel not to be there. If Daniel would have been there, we'd be reading the story with the focus on Daniel. Okay, Daniel's the leader. Daniel was going to go and he wouldn't bow down. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego decided we're not going to bow down either. That wasn't the case. Daniel, their leader, wasn't there. And those three still had the courage okay, and tenacity to take a stand. On their own, he wasn't there. So they stood on their own. This was that. This was their declaration, declaration before God that they love God with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind and all their strength. And they didn't need Daniel there in order to take a stand for for their God. And that's what they did. So the answer to the question is most likely Daniel was sent out of the country. Okay, he wasn't at the event itself. So when the king orders all of these leaders to bow down to this giant golden statue, our three heroes, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they refuse. They stand alone and they refuse. When the king demands an explanation from them, why did they not bow down? They basically said to the king, with respect, king, um, regardless of the consequences of what may happen to us if we don't bow down, we are not going to, in no uncertain terms, we're not going to worship the Babylonian gods. We're not going to bow down to this golden statue that you have set up. We're just not going to do it. So whatever happens to us, and then they said, and we believe that our God will deliver us from your hands, O king. And again, we talked about this last week. It wasn't a disrespect of the king. They just could not do what the word of God, the the law of God was telling them not to do. They couldn't do it. And they explained that to the king. The king, obviously very upset, throws Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego into the fiery furnace. Their powerful words, though, in the in the face of the most powerful man on the planet at the time, still inspires us today. Their words are inspiring. And not only that, but they echo in eternity. 
Don't you, don't you want to do things in your life where it echoes in eternity? Even in the, in the, in the lives of your family members that your, that your children, your grandchildren, your great grandchildren remember you, remember what you did, that you stood up for your faith in this instance, and they talk about that for generations. And even beyond that, it echoes in eternity. Some things, some things are worth dying for. They're worth living for. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to live for him with every ounce of our being. They had true conviction, right? This series is called Uncompromising. They would not compromise. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 17, it says, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. They were under no misconceptions at all what the king was capable of doing to them. Or what he would do to them. Not just he could do it, that he would do it. They were, there, there was no misunderstandings here. They knew if they did not bow down, the king was going to throw them into the fiery furnace. Now we have to stop and ask the question, what made these three teenagers so bold? What gave them such incredible strength? What gave them such incredible faith? What gave them so much courage that they would make that choice? See, it really boils down to a few simple words. The God that we serve is able. The God that we serve is able. Remember our last series? We talked about it last series. How big is your God? And we talked about, this is, this is the series where we go from bondage, right? We, we got Joseph, and he's in Egypt, and they're in bondage. And then we move from bondage and break free that bondage and we start moving forward and going, moving toward the promised land. And we said, how big is your God? Well, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered that question. How big is our God? They were willing to stand for God because they understood. They knew their God. They knew God was capable of delivering them from any circumstance they might, might, may find themselves in. How big, that's the question we've got to keep asking ourselves, even this morning. How big is our God? How much does he truly matter in every single one of our lives? These men understood God because, honestly, they knew their God from the past because their parents had taught them throughout their childhood. So they had that foundation. Their parents taught them about God and what God was capable of doing. Do we tell our children the stories of the word of God? I mean, not just in Sunday school, but do we talk about the stories? We talk about the heroes of the Bible. Because you will face, they will face situations in their lives and they will refer back to, they will remember those times. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that as a foundation. They knew their God. They knew his great deeds. God had rescued in the past. This is important, to know the past, to know what God has done in the past. God had rescued in the past when he rescued Joseph over and over and over again. God had provided in the past. He provided manna for the, for the Israelites when they were in the desert and they ran out of food. God provided for them. These three young men would have known that. They had that history. God it was a God who rescued. God rescued them. God rescued Gideon. Remember Gideon and the Midianites? I mean, Gideon, is over, his army is completely overwhelmed by the Midianites. And God shrinks his army and shrinks his army and shrinks his army and still rescues him. They had story after story. 
They knew that God was a God who, who, who would, would overcome the past. Remember, they would know Beniah. They would know the lions that he would, he jumped in that pit in a snowy day and took on the lions. They would have heard these stories that God would protect them. And when they were going through the Red Sea, when, when, when the Pharaoh was chasing after them, God parted the sea and protected them all the way through. They had a history. They understood that God was a God who would protect. They knew their God and they were not confused about what their God was capable of doing in their lives. They remembered. That's why we should never, ever forget what God has done for us in the past. Honestly, guys, we should write this down. We need to write down. Take the time this week and go back in your mind and think of all the times that God delivered you, that God protected you, that God saved you, that God, all the things that God did in your life. That God provided for you. That God gave you the strength to do. That when the, when the time that God carried you, remember, all, write them all down. That's why I keep saying we need to know the word of God. We need to study the word of God because that we remember the stories of old. And not only that they, they had, they had, they had the law. But we have the old and new testament. It wasn't even being finished there. Daniel was right. He wrote Daniel. We have the book of Daniel. We have the New Testament. We have the miracles. So we have that. But on, t- on, on top of that, we have experience that God has given us in our own lives. And from the word of God and the experiences of God, that gives us a foundation to stand on for the future, for our future. That's why I want to keep encouraging you to read the word of God. They had confidence because they knew their God. They had confidence in the future because they knew their God. David, okay, David. We think of David and Goliath. We think, yeah, David, he was young. He was just, he just ran out there. He didn't know what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. Think about this, okay? When, they, when they, David said, I will take on Goliath, Everybody wasn't like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Go get him, David. They said, you're a little ruddy kid. What are you talking about? What, what you, uh, and what, did Dave, what, did, what was David's response? David's response is, hey, I'm a shepherd. I take care of the sheep, okay? I've taken on and killed a lion. I've killed a bear. And I'm going to kill this guy. You have to think about this. Wouldn't you, if you were, if you were David, okay, and you protected your sheep, against lions that you took on a lion then you took on a bear i don't seriously if you've taken on a lion and you've won and you've taken on a bear and you've won do you think you have confidence to take on a man i don't care how big he is especially when you know god is by your side god is on your side and god is going to fight the battle for you that's why david had so much confidence because he 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 had knowledge of the past he had hope for the future because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had knowledge of the past, they had hope for the future. They knew their God was there, and they knew their God would stand for them. The second half of Daniel 3.17 says this, and, and, he, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. That sounds pretty confident, doesn't it? Sounds pretty confident. They are about to face a horrible death, standing in front of the most powerful man in the world, and they're confident 
They knew that God can rescue them. They knew that God was able to rescue them. They were just hoping that he would, honestly. They didn't have an absolute guarantee that God was going to do that. They knew he could do it, and they were hoping that he would do it. I often say on Sunday mornings that I'm anticipating God to do a miracle here this morning. Every Sunday I pray before I come here. God, do a miracle in this place this morning. And I'm not, it doesn't have to be in every, all of us are going to learn something, all of us are going to worship God, all of us are going to grow, and all of us will strengthen our faith. And, but I, I pray that God would, would do miracles in individual people's lives. Do, a, do something miraculous in someone's life. I'm anticipating that God will do that. They were anticipating something miraculous was going to happen in their lives. They were anticipating deliverance. Why? Because they knew their God. They understood their God. They didn't, they didn't have all the details worked out yet, but they had confidence. They were, they were boldly optimistic. And why not be boldly optimistic? Let's just think about this for a second. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're in chapter 3, okay? Now he builds this giant statue, gold statue. He says, everyone bows down to the statue. Obviously, they know the Ten Commandments, and if they bow down to the statue, it's going to break the Ten Commandments. They're not going to do it. Now they're in a jam again. We're not bowing down to your statue. You're getting thrown into the fiery furnace. Why do they have such bold optimism in that situation, though, that God would deliver them? Because in chapter 1, let's go back to chapter 1, right? The, the, the law of God says this, you cannot eat these certain foods. They're not kosher, you can't do it. They said, can't eat the foods, and so they went to their, and, and they did this, had this miracle diet, and the miracle diet worked, and it all worked out for them. Whew, dodge that bullet, right? Second, in chapter two, I mean, just think, think through what they have. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And not only does Nebuchadnezzar say, I want you to interpret my dream, he calls all of his leaders together and says, not only do I want you to interpret my dream, I want you to tell me what I dreamt, and then I want you to interpret my dream. Right? That's ridiculous. How does anybody know what you dream? You, you all had dreams last night, most likely. And can you imagine coming up to somebody now? I want you to tell me, my, interpret my dream. Okay, tell me your dream. No, you have to tell me what I dreamt and then you're going to interpret my dream. That doesn't make any, I mean, that's ridiculous. But the king said, no, 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 no. Our whole foundation of our worldview is built on this. You have to tell me my dream and then I want you to tell me the, 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 what, what it means. And so Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they pray and God gives them Nebuchadnezzar's dream and he gives them the interpretation. So now they're two for two. Now they're in chapter three. Do you think they might have a little more confidence? Why? Because of the experiences they've had with their God. And why did they have those experiences? Because they stood for their faith and God delivered. God followed through. So now we're in chapter 3. Now we're in chapter 3, and King Nebuchadnezzar is threatening them again, and they're confident. They have that confidence. They didn't have all the details worked out, but they were boldly optimistic. See, humanly speaking, their chances of survival were very nil. Mathematically, zero. The chances of these three young men surviving this fiery furnace. Remember last week we read that the, the, the soldiers that took them up into the fiery furnace, they died. It was so hot that the men that took them up, the strongest soldiers they had, they died. Some of you 
like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are facing some really difficult circumstances in your life right now. You're, 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 if you will, you're facing the fiery furnace. It's really difficult, but you have confidence in God. You, you serve a living God. And you know you're going to go through something really difficult, but you can have confidence because you know that your God will walk with you every step of the way. It may feel mathematically impossible for you somehow to get out of whatever you've gotten yourself into or whatever someone else has gotten you into. But you walk with and you serve a God who will carry you, who will walk with you through the flames and you will come out on the other side. Why? Because our God will be with us every step of the way. Our God can give us unwavering resolve in the the, the midst of dilemmas that seem overwhelming. Because we serve a living God. Now it starts getting even more intense. In Daniel 3.18, it says, but even, even if he does not, write that down, write it down, circle it in your Bible, underline it. But even if he does not, we want you to know, o King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. OK, this is where we really, really, really need to listen. OK, really, really need to listen. What they what, what they say here. Okay, is the next step in your spiritual journey. Okay, you were in bondage. You said, "How God help me overcome these these things that are holding me back?" Doesn't matter what it is, Lord. Maybe someone abused me in the past. Maybe it's some addiction, addictive behavior that I have. Maybe whatever whatever it is for you, something is holding you in that place of bondage. You're in Egypt. You're in bondage. You break free of the bondage. Now you're broken free. We went through the whole series with Joseph, and we remember with Moses and Caleb and Joshua, and we start making our way to the promised land. And you've taken ground. You've taken ground. And this series, that series was about breaking free and starting to take, take ground. This series is about how to hold your ground, how to have convictions and hold your ground. So you've taken the ground. This next step, what they say here is profound, spiritually profound. But even if he does not, this is where you break spiritual strongholds in your life. This is where you stop living in the temporal and start living out the eternal, having an eternal perspective. You've broken the bondage. You've taken the ground. Now there are strongholds before you can actually get through, okay, and make it to the promised land. There are strongholds that are standing in your way. This is how you overcome those strongholds. This is the next step in your spiritual journey. This is where, this is where the rubber meets the road. Most people, honestly, I'm being sincere, most people never reach this level of spiritual maturity. And most leaders don't even talk about reaching this level of spiritual maturity. But if for us, as, the, as this church, if we want to move forward, if we want to truly live our lives for Jesus Christ, we need to follow the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. My, my professor, Ed Nyack, used to teach us, Whatever you win people with is what you win them to. Whatever you win them. So if I, if I win, if you come to Christ because of fluffiness and carnal Christianity, you know, you know it's like, uh, you know, don't get too carried away. If whatever you win people with is what you win them to. The problem with that is the problem with winning people with fluffy, fluffy and everything's fine and don't get, don't take it too seriously is when life gets really serious, what they're offering doesn't hold up when the storms come, when the battles come, when the 
giants come, when the struggles come, what you've been led with is not strong enough to hold you up. What I'm, what I'm trying to share with you now, this, is, this will help you grow in your spiritual maturity. They said, we know our God can save us, but listen, but even if he does not. Basically, they knew there were two options left here. Number one, God is going to deliver us. Or number two, we are going to die a horrible, horrible death. But they would rather die with God than live without him. They would rather die with their God than live without him. They would rather die a painful death than live a meaningless life. Every single one of us needs to have that same attitude or say, Lord, I'm not there yet, but I want to get there. I would rather die a painful death than live a meaningless life. I'd rather live. I'd rather die without you. I'd rather I'd rather live with you, Lord, than die without you. I, I can't. That's the attitude that we have to have. That's the attitude that they had. They had that kind of courage. They would rather die knowing who they were than to live not knowing their destiny, what God designed them for, who they truly were as men of God, as women of God. That's the attitude that we need to have. The king, honestly, King Nebuchadnezzar could take their lives, but he couldn't take their convictions. He couldn't rob from them who they truly were and what they truly stood for. That is a powerful example of faith. They hoped, they, they, they had this hope for a miracle. But listen, this is amazing. But they didn't demand one. They hoped for a miracle, but they did not demand one. They trusted their God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their strength. They were hoping for a miracle. Our God will deliver us. He can deliver us from your hand, O King. But even if he does not, I want you to think about that, what they said. I want you to write these three words down. But if... Not. Okay? This is, this, is, this is a real challenge for every single human being on this planet. But if not. That's how we should live our entire lives. My God can save me, fill in the blank. My God can save me from blank. Right? My God can save me from this. But if not. God can heal me from this illness. I have faith that my God can heal me from anything I'm struggling with, any illness I'm struggling with. But if not, my God can provide the, the, the money necessary. My God can provide that money necessary. I'm struggling right now in whatever area. My God can provide the resources necessary, the money necessary. But if not... My God can do miracles, miracles. I mean, mind boggling miracles in my life. But if not, that's the that, that's where that's where the spiritual maturity comes in. But if not, what if God listen? If God says no to your loftiest goals. To your treasured dreams. To your, to your greatest, your, your deepest hopes. Do you still trust him? 
If he says no, I have dreams that I, there are certain things I want to live out in my life. I, I have these dreams and I have the, I have these goals and I have, but if God says to Jeff Greer, no to some of your dreams, no to some of those hopes, no to some of those goals, do I still trust him? If God says no to my plans for the future, I have plans, guys. I have plans for the future. I mean, when it comes to my personal life, when it comes to my ministry life, when it comes to... I have plans. You have plans, right? We have plans. You have these plans for the future. You have these dreams for the future. If God says no, do you still serve him? If God says no, when you pray earnest, your earnest prayer for that loved one, that person that you want, you want to see God heal that person or you want to see something happen in that person's life and you have this earnest prayer for that loved one. If God says no, are you still, are you still going to love him? Are you still going to follow him? See, this is, this is not so simple. This brings us face to face with reality about God that most people don't like to talk about. It's called God's unpredictability. God, God's unpredictability. That means God doesn't always do what we want him to do. God doesn't always do, God does not always do what Jeff Greer expects him to do. Most of the time he doesn't do what I expect him to do. God doesn't always do what Jeff Greer wants him to do. These three young men knew their individual, listen, These three young men, these three teenagers knew that their individual deliverance may not be part of God's ultimate plan. You ever think of that? I think about it when I'm reading this. They they had confidence that God could and would deliver them. But if not, they were not absolutely sure that their personal deliverance from the fiery furnace was a part of God's ultimate plans. James understood this very well. James, the brother of Jesus, in James chapter 4, verse 15, it says, Instead, you ought to say, If it be the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Right? If it be the Lord's... We've read that before. I've said that before. Oh, God, if it be your will, if it be your will, I'll do this and I'll do that. We say that sometimes, but do we really mean it? Or do I really mean most of the time that God's will should be in alignment with my plans, that God's will, I mean, yeah, God, do you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day, blah, blah, blah. But would, wouldn't we rather the Lord's will align with our priorities? I, I know I would, I'm just being honest. I, I love the Lord with all my heart, but, I, but I, I, hope, I hope sometimes that God's will just aligns with my priorities, that God's will aligns with my plans. I have plans, right? I have goals, you have goals and plans. And we want God's will to align with our plans. But if not, then what? That's where spiritual maturity comes in. That's what we're talking about here. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are teaching us here in the book of Daniel. You think they, you think they wanted the fiery furnace to be the end of their story? They had confidence in their God. They would not bow down. And they knew that God would deliver them, but if not, we need to realize spiritually, we need to realize that we only get a faint glimpse of eternity. 
of what, what God is doing in this world. Only, a, only just a faint glimpse. We're, we're often trapped in our own thoughts, in our own feelings, but God is not. God, God is not trapped. God sees all of history laid out before him. I want to go this direction. I have plans. I have cool things that I'd like to do. I'd like to accomplish. But all of a sudden, God says no. And he points me in this direction. And my spiritual maturity should say, this must be the better direction. This is God's direction for my life. God has a better plan for Jeff Greer because he loves Jeff more. He knows what's better. He designed me. He purposed me. He created me for the foundation of the world. God knows what's best for me. I should submit myself. I want to go this way, but if not, do I shake my fist? Do I cry? Do I carry on? Do I, do, I, do I get all worked up? God doesn't love me. God loves everybody else, but not me. Why doesn't God? I can't believe this. Why me? Why me? See, over the, over the past few weeks, we've, we've talked about Deuteronomy 29, 29. And it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and our children. There are certain things that are revealed that... I can understand. There are certain things that are not revealed that I cannot understand. That's where I need to trust God. That means, what that means is the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Means that God is infinite and I am finite. It means that God is limitless and I am limited. And I must bow my knee before my king and say, I trust you with my life regardless if it's in the fiery furnace and that's where I stay and that's the last you hear of me or if God delivers me. But if not, what is my attitude if I have to deal with but if not? So we struggle. We, we as humans, I understand, struggle to understand why things work the way they do. Why is it in Acts chapter 12 that James, the brother of John, why is, why is James, okay, killed by the sword while Peter is miraculously delivered? You think God likes James or Peter more than James? Is that why? He just, oh, y'all didn't like James that much, so. Why, why is one killed and the other delivered? Why does one person get to live till 90, the other person gets to live till 30? Why are some children born with disabilities and some children are not? Why does a tornado hit one person's house and not the other skips and doesn't hit the other person's house? Why does one person get to be elected and another person doesn't get to be elected? Why do the, why do evil people sometimes really prosper and righteous people often struggle to make ends meet? Why is it? See, our minds, in our minds sometimes, we get angry because we think haphazard. It's completely haphazard. Now, I can answer some of the questions I just asked, but not completely and probably not to your satisfaction. Because over, th- over 30 years of doing this in ministry, I've learned something. That even if I can answer every single one of those questions, it's not going to resolve the real issue. Because my questions and your questions, the ones that matter the most are not intellectual, they're emotional. If I lost a child, I don't care if all of you, okay, if God spoke to you and told you why and gave you all the reasons why I lost my child. I lose my child, I'm still in pain. I trust him, but I'm still in pain. 
So we struggle as human beings. We don't understand. And so we use the word, it's all haphazard. We don't get it. And we get frustrated. That's why people love their systematic theology. Nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong. But people love systematic theology. One of the reasons they do is because it makes God more predictable. They don't like his unpredictability. It's more predictable. Boom, and then boom, and then boom, and then boom. What about this over here? What about this over here in the scripture? Blah, 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 blah. Boom, boom, boom. That's why people say, if you just have enough faith, brother, if you just have enough faith, God will blank. Period. What they're really saying is, if you have enough faith, God must do this. God must not do anything. God is an unorthodox. God is an unpredictable God. And that makes us uncomfortable. So we don't like it. And so we come up with theologies and we come up with systematic theologies and we come up with, with emotional kind of, if we, if you just, if you would just, then God would. Oh, really? Really? So if I do that, God must, we don't want to, people won't say must because that sounds too arrogant, but that's exactly what they're saying. If this, then this. Why? Because it makes God more predictable. That's where faith comes in. This is where I'm talking about spiritual maturity. This is where spiritual maturity comes in. But if not, Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. He was sweating blood. And I'll tell you why, and I'll give you the answer in a second. Paul asked for for relief three times, right? My grace is sufficient to you for you for you. Because my power is made perfect in your weakness. God is unpredictable sometimes. And God's not going to do what Jeff Greer wants him to do when he wants him to do it. Sometimes I'm going to ask for healing in someone's life and God's going to say no. Sometimes I'm going to pray that God would take my plans and run with these plans. And sometimes he's going to say no. And then I have to say, but if not, see, when we can't see the plan, let me tell you, when we can't see it or we don't like it, when I don't like it, here's what I need to do. I need to follow Jesus example. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, where Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. Right, right before he's going to go to the cross, he's in the garden of Gethsemane, and he says this, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me, yet not my will be done, but your will be done. Take this from me. That's, that's basically what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying. This is the, Jesus was saying the same thing as basically Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was saying the same thing, but if not, but if not, God, if you can take this cup, take this cup from me, but if not, oh, King, we are not going to bow down. We are not going to listen to what you say. We respect you, but we cannot do what God has called us not to do. And he will deliver us from your hand, oh, King, but if not, Three powerful, life-altering, spiritually defining words. Three words that we need to make a part of our spiritual vocabulary. Do you want to mature in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you stuck right now? You want to grow? Take those three words and write them, on, write them on the doorpost of your house. Put them on the mirror so you look at them every day. Write them in your Bible somewhere. Underline, but even if he does not, but If not, 
Father God, we thank you for this time that we can spend together. And thanks for the opportunity that we have just to come and to worship you. Father, this is a time in our lives where we know that you have broken us free from the bondage of sin and that we know, Lord God, that you've set us free from the from the the bondage that we have felt in Egypt, if you will, in our own lives, that 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 slavery to sin, that slavery to that to that 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 past event that someone inflicted upon us. We felt enslaved by that. We felt enslaved by the addictions that maybe they're holding us back. We felt enslaved by fears, the fears that, that, that encompass our lives sometimes, Lord. And you've helped us to break free from that. And you've set us on a journey. And we've overcome giant after giant after giant. And now, Lord, we want to destroy. We want to annihilate these strongholds. But that takes even more faith. That takes even more strength. That takes even more spiritual maturity. We want to learn, but if not. We want to live out, but if not. We want to bow our knee to you, whether you give us exactly what we're asking for, or you take us down a different path. We want to trust that that path is the right path. And instead of shaking our fist or being angry, or, or questioning your love and your kindness and your goodness toward us, we want to recognize that you're a God who loves us. We want to live in the eternal and no longer in the temporal. And as we take communion, Lord God, we want to remember why we have the strength to live out what we've been talking about this morning. In and of ourselves, this is impossible. But not it's not impossible through the power of the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And we want to thank you and remember that, Lord God. We want to remember it because in remembering that, we remember why we have the strength to overcome everything that is put in our path. Why we have the strength to overcome those questions that we ask. Why, Lord? Why did this happen? Why is this happening? Why is the world the way it is? And the answer is often found in the secret things that belong to you and you alone. But through the power of the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, we can live out. But if not... As I read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23, I want you to hear the words, and then I'm going to pray for the bread and for the cup. I want you to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you, to give you the strength, to give you the spiritual maturity. To be able to face this world regardless if you're going through a fiery furnace regardless of who may have inflicted you with whatever it may have been, regardless, you are worshiping a God who loves you. You can have confidence in His deliverance, in His protection, in His grace, in His mercy, in His love, in His forgiveness. So I'll read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, then I'll pray. And when I'm finished praying, you don't have to wait for anybody else. You can go up to the back of the room, take the bread and the cup. You can sit back down. You can come up in front. You can, you can kneel. You can bow down. You can pray. Don't wait for anybody else. You can take the bread and the cup as the Holy Spirit leads you. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord, I also passed on to the Lord. I also passed on to you. 
the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Father God without question This is difficult for us as humans to understand. We like things to work out the way we want them to work out. But God, I pray with all of my heart that we would bow our knee to you this morning. And that we would say, but if not. And we know, Lord God, that we have the strength to do that. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Because you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us. That we be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That we would have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ flowing through our veins. That the blood that was shed for us flows through us. And gives us what we need to overcome whatever we we might face. So, Father, thank you for the the body of Christ, which was given for us, which was sacrificed, sacrificed for us. I pray, dear God, because of that sacrifice, that we would have the courage, that we would have the faith, that we would have the strength to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. May that be our spiritual act of worship this morning. We thank you for the blood which was shed for us, Christ's blood which was shed for us. Because of that shed blood, we are covered, Lord God. Our sin is covered. We can enter into the Holy of Holies. We can enter into the very presence of the Father with our requests, knowing that he loves us, that you love us, God, that you love us with all of your heart. And we trust you with all of ours. Give us that trust. Give us that spiritual maturity and that trust. And thank you for the blood that was shed. We praise you. We praise you, Lord, for being a God who loves us that much. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.